Hey, we want to welcome everyone to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're glad that everyone is able to tune in and join us uh, for another episode of the podcast show. Um, we have a special guest who's going to be joining the podcast show today, and um, me and my co-host is looking forward to hearing uh, hearing his information about his research on the uh, on the rise in violent crime. So, uh, Chief Swag, brother, how you doing today? I'm doing good, brother. How you doing? Man, I'm doing good. Doing good, man. Man, I'm 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 uh, ex- excited to to have on uh, somebody that that you uh, ha- have met and uh, is working with in uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so, um, won't you introduce uh, our guest, um, Mr. Edmund Davis? Well, Professor Davis is a. Uh, we have become really good friends. Um, we're like brothers. We've become brothers. Very passionate about his research when it comes to uh, African American men, uh, especially when it comes to determining causative factors in violence um, against African American men, and also being committed by African American men. So he works. Uh, he's a professor at one of three historical black colleges in the city of Little Rock, um, Arkansas Baptist College. And at one point, Arkansas Baptist College uh, had more, uh, the largest number of African-American men. If I make no mistake, I'll, I'll let Professor Davis talk about that, but it was it's heavily populated with African-American men. And so uh, he'll tell you about his research and why his research is so uh, dear, to, dear to his heart. And um, but he's working with the uh, Little Rock Police Department on numerous uh, initiatives, a ceasefire initiative, a quarterly community meeting, and uh, he's a graduate of Grambling University, and he's a member of Groove Phi Groove. I just wanted to throw that in there. It, it would if you uh, <laughs> admit that you're a member of Groove Phi Groove, and uh, has a, a, a beautiful wife and a son. He's also an entrepreneur. So. Uh, Without further ado, my good friend, and uh, I think we mentor each other. So I'm a mentor to him, and he's a and, and and I'm a mentee, and he's a mentee, and I'm a mentor. So we uh, we we uh, we feed off each other. So Edmund, if you oh, go right great. ahead, man, take take it from here. Well, definitely, uh, I hold those remarks in high esteem, Chief. So I'm, I'm honored to be on this uh, podcast. I'm thankful that I'm, I'm in the same category. As, as you both, and so I'm going to first and foremost give God all the credit and thank Him for aligning all this up the way it's supposed to be. And of course, um, you know, my, my my teammate for life, my wife, she's been uh exceptional, kind of helping me out when it comes to research. A lot of people don't realize that you know I have a team working, and of course we're partners with the Little Rock Police, and of course other agencies as well. But um, definitely uh, when I go home, I try to de-stress and shut it down, but uh, my wife, she keeps me up in a positive way. She keeps it going and, and make sure my uh, criteria is in place. So she's listening. Uh, baby, I love you and thank you. But yes, um, I'm the director of the Derek Olivier Research Institute for the Prevention of Violence at Arkansas Baptist College. And one thing that Chief did note, um, we've one of four HBCUs here in the state of Arkansas, and uh that number I think he mentioned earlier, 
you know, we're the uh, only school in the country, and I'll say that real slow for all the listeners, we're the only college slash university in the entire United States of America where at a co-ed school you have the majority of the student population is 63% African-American males. Now, of course, wow. uh, you, can't, you can't get that at Penn State, UCLA, nowhere you can get that percentile, of course, per capita speaking, that many African-American males in the classroom that far outnumber African-American females. And so uh, that is the uniqueness at Arkansas Baptist College. And so, of course, it does line up with uh, what we're researching as it relates to um, finding ways and methods and strategies to help other programs mitigate homicides. So, of course, um, ABC is in a good position from that standpoint. And so definitely uh, we've got our work cut out for us. But, um, you know, what other school would we want to use where we have 60-something percent of the student population at Arkansas Baptist are African-American males from Chicago, mm-hmm. from Louisiana, Memphis, all over here in Little Rock primarily. But for the most part, you know, we have an interesting uh, conglomerate from that standpoint. And so uh, mm-hmm. it's unique, and uh, I love it. We've got our work cut out for us, obviously, but um, I believe we're in the right place at the right time. Well, good. And, you know, I, I just like to add to that, you know, that uh, especially when, you know, I don't think a lot of people really talk about uh, the HBCUs. And, you know, Arkansas has several. Uh, we only have one in, in Oklahoma, uh, which is Langston University. And, right. you know, uh, Professor, it's, it's surprising to hear you say how, you know, where these students are, are, they come from, from across the United States because just like at Langston, you have people that come from Chicago, Detroit, they come from L.A., uh, but they choose HBCUs. Uh, right. And so that that speaks a lot about the, the academics of the HBCUs and what they bring to, to the African-American uh, community. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I believe, of course, to get back to what Chief noted, my grandma State University uh, graduate, and, you know, I've been at HBCU all throughout my blood, and, and I've attended actually a PWI as well. You know, I went to uh, Louisiana Tech University. There was majority Caucasian, and I was the minority in that at that, you know, university. But at Grambling, it was a little bit different, obviously, and now at ABC, you know. So um, I've got the best of both worlds, and I think it's, uh, you know, it puts us in a, in a unique category to where we can make a compliment or make a comment about, you know, what it is and what you think is going on. And so, of course, uh, whether it's with Latinos or African-Americans or Caucasians or Anglo-Saxons, so, you know, we definitely want to have that well-versed background. And so, um, yeah. And having the platform, yes, but but the HBCU is uh, is always in style. And these schools are not going anywhere, and uh, definitely um, they're needed. Definitely, definitely needed. Yeah. So, Professor, what got you into doing this research about violent crimes uh, in Central Arkansas? Say that one more time. Uh, so how did this come about with your research uh, into the violent crimes, uh, in particular in central Arkansas? Because I picked this up 
I was just so happened to uh, Chief Humphrey sent me some information about uh, uh, the uh, female officers in Little Rock, and down below there was another article about you uh, coming together, meeting with uh, officials in Little Rock and Little Rock Police Department, and and talking about you know the uh, the research that you uh, have that you're working on. So let our listeners know how did this come about with you. Uh, looking into this research uh, on violence in central Arkansas? Sure. Well, it started uh, on the 27th of uh, September 2012. There was a young man by the name of Derek Olivier. He was a first-semester freshman from South Louisiana. And uh, I want to acknowledge his mother, Mama Alma Olivier, and also his dad, uh, Mr. Joseph Olivier, those two, of course, being integral in his life at that time, Derek, they asked him a question, Derek, that is, and said, hey, you know, son, you, you're going to go to college or you're going to go to the military? And Derek's response was, well, um, I don't want to get shot, so I'm going to go ahead and go to college and uh, major in, and, you know, a major, and then, of course, play, you know, football. And so, of course, yeah. uh, he hey, got professor. up here two months later. Yes, sir. Yeah. Hey, I just realized we're coming up on our first break, and I don't want to get too far off into the conversation, but we're going to take this break, and we come back. We'll get back into the conversation. Uh, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Back to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We want to uh, let our listeners know, know that uh, you can catch the show live uh, on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. That's the uh, bachelornews.airtime.pro. So you can catch us live as we speak. Uh, and uh, you can also uh, tune in at uh, 646-929-0130. And the chat room is open, so if you got a comment, or a question for for us or for our guest, uh, Professor Davis. Uh, leave those in the chat room, and we'll get those, and we'll uh, get those on air. But uh, uh, we're definitely honored to have uh, Professor Davis on the uh, podcast show with us today. Uh, he's a he's a uh, professor in uh, in, in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and he's on uh, talking with us about um, the. His research on violence in uh, Central Arkansas. So, uh, Professor Davis, uh, welcome, welcome to the show, and uh, you know we definitely thank you for taking the time out to come on to talk to us about 
your research and um, where this research is going. But prior to the break, you were uh, telling us about um, uh, the uh, how this came about. So we'll just kind of pick up from where we left off at. Thanks a lot again, Chief Green. Yeah, so uh, Derek Olivier, he was uh, the first semester freshman who attended Arkansas Baptist College back in the fall of 2012. And, uh, you know, his mother and father gave him not necessarily an ultimatum, but said, hey, you know, you can go to college or, you know, you can uh, go to the military. And he referred to coming up to Little Rock, Arkansas, to playing football and to major in the, uh, in, the, in the area of concentration he wanted to major in. And so uh, he did well on the football field, and he was excelling academically in the classroom. And so uh, it's what we would call academically swag. Derek was swag. And so, uh, you know. He's got that cheap that swag stuff. Yes, exactly, swag. <laughs> and it's an acronym for, uh, you know, students with academic gains. So when we talk about swag, we try to, you know, make it relevant, make it make it godly, and make it proficient. And so, you know, definitely. And so uh, so, so that's what Derek was. He knew swag. And uh, he was uh, changing the tire across the street from the campus on that fateful night where he uh, lost his life. An unknown assailant just, uh, I think he had a white T-shirt on. If the video were uh, present right now, I think it would say the white T-shirt. This young man just uh, let off about three rounds. I think it was a 9 millimeter handgun, and it, you know, hit Derek in the back three times. And he, you know, of course, succumbed to his injuries just across the street from the campus. And so, well, coming back onto the campus was where he's lost his life. And so um, at that time, the president, of Dr. Fitzgerald Hill, you know, he was the one to uh, – make the green light and say, you hear your son talking to Mama Alma and Mr. Joseph Olivier about how their son's name will not be in vain, and uh, this will be an initiative. This will be a pretty much a movement. And so, of course, here we are almost nine years later on, on that same tune. And so, of course, um, you know, we have a number of what we call Dorians in place. These are students at Arkansas Baptist College who are helping it's not just me doing uh, research. I've got, of course, other people in place, and uh, the students are pretty much that example, that shining light when it comes to uh, looking up things. We call it DORI, the Eric Olivia Research Institute's Facts and Data. And of course, we have a Project 45 where the whole idea, Chief Green, is we're trying to bless young people, especially African-American males. The number one killer for African American males ages one through forty ages one through forty four is homicide. That's the number one killer throughout the country. Mm-hmm. So this is not just a little rock problem, this is a national uh problem. And so that's pretty much what we're doing at Dory. No, okay, okay. So Chief Humphrey, uh how has uh, the Little Rock Police Department and uh Professor Davis collaborated so far uh to uh, bring awareness to the public about uh, about this research? Well, I think the first thing is we let, we gave uh, um, Professor Davis access. When I say access, we, he came to one of our CompStat meetings. And for the listeners who aren't familiar with CompStat, it's, it stands for Computer Statistics, and it's the data that police departments collect to determine um, what's going on in the city crime-wise. And so uh, all the reports, all the police calls that come in, it's placed into uh, a database, 
and then we're able to plot that information on a citywide map to determine where the trends are occurring. Uh, that's how we follow the crime. That's how we know how to deploy with resources and things like that. So um, he's one of the first uh, professors. Well, I shouldn't, I'm not going to say the first, but he's one of the few professors who have had access uh, to those type of meetings. And so he needed to understand how we were collecting our data. And once he was able to understand that and asking the right questions, then we were able to determine how we could help each other. So he's been a part of the ComStat meetings. Uh, he's been a part of our community, uh, quarterly community meetings. Uh, we've done two programs with him, uh, one for Father's Day and one for Mother's Day to recognize uh, the mothers and fathers who have been, uh, whose children have fallen victim uh, to homicide. Uh, but he, we participated in that. We've had a community meeting. Uh, and we continue to work on our ceasefire efforts with uh, with Professor Davis and the university. And so our university sits right in the middle of our downtown patrol division, uh, which is one of the diver most diverse divisions in the city. And so to have someone academic uh, in the academic field actually work on us, you can pick up the phone and say, hey, uh, this is what's going on. But this is a gentleman that, that will text me and say, hey, we're up to how many homicides? This year, I'll tell him how many of those individuals are African-American males um, or females. I mean, these are how many of the suspects, known suspects, African-American male, African-American females. This is a person that's continually thinking about, okay, what we could have done differently. What can he do differently? What can the, the Dory Institute do differently? And that's what we're doing. So, so many different uh, programs. I've, I've spoke, he put on, he had a uh, Martin Luther Day, Martin Luther King Day event, uh, participated in that. So, uh, Arkansas Baptist College slash uh, Professor Davis slash Little Rock Police Department are continually working on efforts to, to, to uh, make our community safer. Yeah. Well, I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And uh, you can listen live to the show uh, or by calling me into uh, 646-929-0130. Or you can listen live on the the uh, Bachelor News, the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com or uh, to this important uh, guest that we have on the show uh, by the name of. Professor Davis, uh, who has a, a really good uh, research uh, going on about uh, the violence crime that's not just occurring in Arkansas, but that's occurring across the country. So if you got any comments or anything, the, the chat room is open, uh, please do so. Uh, but um, definitely log in to thebachelornews.airtime.pro or at 646-929-0130. Uh, and leave us your comments uh, about this important topic, because Keith and Professor, as you know, you know, Professor, you made a, a point um, that 100 percent of the homicides in North Little Rock are African American, and 75 uh, percent of the homicides uh, in Little Rock are, are are black males, and in Pine Bluff, it's 100 uh, percent. And you know, I served as the police chief in Helena, West Helena. And uh, Helena is is about a hundred percent where the the crimes that are committed are, uh, are 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 by black males. Yes, yes, and you know those factors and and and, and it's the, the the blueprint for uh, I guess 
this spells all this out. And, you know, we, we've labeled them down to about five of them. Now, we don't know everything, but what we do at Dory is that we make recommendations. And so we analyze, you know, we collect and we track data trends to homicides. And, of course, we harness that uh, evidence and that uh, we make evidence-based best recommendations for programs to say, okay, well, this is what, you know, according to our research, these are some key factors that we can help uh, mitigate the problems. And so whether it's in West Helena or, you know, uh, um, East L.A., you know, of course, when a, when a black man is killed once every one hour, every 1.2 hours in the United States by another black male, you don't hear too much about that. You hear about homicide. You hear about killings. But when it comes to us, you know, it's 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 beyond embarrassing, you know, having these conversations with people. Uh, most of them look like me, but the ones that don't look like me, you know, of course, it, it's, it's you know, you can never talk not too much about it. And so just saying that, you know, just knowing that um, the fatherless home, that's one of the uh, pillars to the reasons why we have these issues. And then the other one, of course, is, of course, unemployment. That's another one. And, of course, after that, 75% of all criminality comes from high school dropouts. You know, people don't necessarily want to have that conversation. And so when we're talking right. about the schools, you know, we're looking at, okay, well, what's going on in the schools? Not just from the educator standpoint, but from the board standpoint, from the district standpoint, what's going on? How are we uh, failing our young people? Now, when it comes to African-American males, you know, it seems as if if it rains on others, it comes down even harder on them, on us, if you will. And so whether it's unemployment, whether it's, uh, you know, and mental health issues, that's a real big factor that, you know, they're finally starting to shed some light on that when it comes to uh, – these guys making these erroneous decisions when it comes to pulling these triggers. And I've got some stats mm -hmm. right here in front of me. You know, we've got, this is 2021. We're at 187 days uh, in this year. Now, of course, we already have over 3,500 African-American males that have been killed by other African-American males in 187 days. So that's roughly wow. about between 18 and 20 African-American male homicides per day, you know, now that's beyond that. That's that's some third world numbers, you know. When you yeah. look at it from all the way across the board, that's some third world numbers. And, and that's just like you know, just this past weekend, you know, we you know, so many people celebrated the Fourth of July weekend, and uh, some information was just released uh, over the past forty-eight hours that you know, uh, hundred and fifty people were killed in four hundred shootings, just over. The, the July 4th weekend. I mean, 150 people killed in foreign, foreign shootings. I mean, that almost sounds like you don't even hear anything like that in, in, in what's going on over in Afghanistan in, in a war-torn uh, uh, part of the, the country. But that, that's a lot of violence that is going on. Right. Yeah, I, I looked at that data, too, yesterday and the day before, and I looked at it again not too long ago, just several hours ago. And uh, I think uh, 
This is the sixth day of the seventh month of the year, and uh, already you've got you've had I think um, thirteen shootings, mass shootings in July in six days already. You know? Yeah, yeah unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, you know, like Professor Professor uh, Virgil, we get, we have a few minutes before we go to break, or we get to go to break right quick. Yeah, we got to go to break uh, right quick, and uh, we come back. Professor uh, Davis, uh, you know, his time is kind of limited with us, but so let's take this break, and we come back, and we'll finish up with uh, Professor Davis. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Love Talk Remind everyone that you can listen to the show live at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. That's thebachelornews.airtime.pro, or at six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. And the chat room is open. And uh, if you've got some comments or questions, please do so. And uh, uh, T Swag, we've got uh, and Professor Davis, we got Stan in Arkansas said that most of the violence in our communities is directly tied to a lack of jobs and positive. Um, recreation for our young people, and um, and then Steve in St. Louis in St. Paul uh, said part of the stopping the violence starts with identifying who is in the uh, suspect pool. So um, two great comments. We definitely thank uh, Steve and St. Paul for listening, and Stan in Arkansas for listening to you and the law. But Professor, I know your time is is kind of limited with us, but we definitely want to uh, let us know how long you can be with us uh, as we talk about this important topic of what's going on with the violence across, not just in, in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, in central Arkansas, but just across the country. Did he, did he leave? Hello? Uh, I don't. Hello? Hey, hey, Professor. Hey, Professor Davis. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, I know your time is kind of limited with us, so kind of let us know when you need to break away. But uh, I don't know if you heard those two um, comments from our listeners uh, uh, who stand and uh, made a comment in Arkansas where he said that most of the violence in our communities are direct are directly tied to uh, the lack of jobs and positive uh, recreation for our young people. And Steve in St. Paul said part of stopping the violence starts with identifying who's in the suspect pool. And um, and so, uh, which is some of the things you just kind of related to before the break, uh, Professor. Yes, uh, and those factors are correct. We call those factors, those protective factors, 
where they're at a minimum now. So, of course, when it comes to employment, anytime you have a high unemployment rate, you know, the twin brother, the evil twin to that is, you're going to have a high criminality rate. And so, of course, mm-hmm. not too many times we see young guys out here, you know, committing crimes on full stomachs. Most of these guys doing these horrendous uh, crimes, you know, they're either hungry or starving. Most of them, not every single one of them, but a lot of them, the majority of them, you know, they're hungry. And, uh, of course, they're unemployed. And, of course, uh, that free time turns into, you know, that downtime is, is not a good time at all, especially if you're unemployed. And so, and, of course, the other one, those after-school programs, I was talking to a couple of my constituents not too long ago to where, um, you know, they we went from, and I could be misquoted, 35 programs to about four or five programs. So that's a definite uh, factor. And, of course, that's one of the protective factors versus the risk factors. And so we want to help combat these risk factors with more of these protective factors. And so uh, you've been talking about after-school programs and different types of uh, auxiliary functions that are in place. And then, again, we have to be more a little bit more creative when it comes to those uh, family protective factors of course, um, you know, having a positive social orientation, that's a protective factor. You know, having high educational aspirations, those are protective factors. So, of course, um, if there's a high high school dropout rate, you know, that's, of course, a problem. And so, of course, we want to have those kids, those young people, engaged, highly engaged, highly involved. And, of course, the church, we can't be successful without our church. Church, of course, Correct. when you look at historically speaking, there's not too many photographs from between 1940s up until the 1970s where the church wasn't at the forefront. So, of course, we yeah. have to definitely uh, find ways of having our, cler- our clerics at the forefront because we can't do this, you know, without them, of course, uh, moving forward. So these are all protective factors that we need to meet back in place. And, of course, um, definitely our mothers have their hands full. They can't do it by themselves. And we and I want to give a special recognition to a lot of the single parent moms that have been older down and, and raising successful sons. But at the same time, you know, and I and me and my wife we talk a lot. You know, I can't show a young lady how to be a girl or or a young girl how to be a woman, and neither can mm-hmm. a, a young woman show her son how to be a man. Some of them think that they can, and they've done great jobs. But you know, that's one of those things that we're where we come in place, whether it's pastors, yeah. teachers, you know, uh, of course, all types of men that are in place. Well, and, and, you know, Professor, you make a good point about the uh, churches not really actively engaged and involved like they were back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and even in the 70s. Um, and, you know, I, it, this is no secret. I think historically people... Uh, communities know that there's always a rise in crime during the summer. Uh, mm-hmm. but we don't see any, we, we don't see any rise in, uh, uh, cities making sure that there are, you know, recreational programs that are city sponsored or we don't see, uh, local churches, uh, coming together working with private organizations such as YMCAs or, or local uh, uh, municipalities who do have some type of recreational programs. We just don't see that. And so, you know, it's, it's almost as if 
we we know that there's going to be a problem, but we don't really get ahead of the problem to prevent some of these things from happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it, it takes a, what the term that we use in higher education, and my wife used it at the elementary level, the wraparound process. And, and Chief, both of you both know what that, what that entails, you know, that wraparound yeah. process. And so, uh, you know, you can't lock up everybody. And, of course, you can't suspend everybody. And, uh, you know. Yeah, you can't have that that, that pipeline to prison uh, enforcement. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I wish wish Professor Davis had the time to to go back over the history of the statistics that that he's uh, collected from 19, what was it? Edmund, was it 1950, 19... I've got... Would yeah, you go yes, back yes, and... I've got data. Oh, yeah, I've got data from 100 years ago almost. Uh, but, of course, yeah, but it, it was, as far as the least... Yeah, as far as the least... Yeah, but it was one group of... Yeah, yeah, that's the one with homicides, yes. Okay. Yeah, I've got the, uh, the numbers from 1950. I believe it's uh, 1949, 1950s, when they officially start keeping these homicide numbers, uh, records, as far as a national database standpoint. And so uh, just looking at between 1950 and 1959 versus between 1960 and 1969 versus between 1970 and 1979, and just bring it all on up to the 21st century, just looking at how it changed up when integration became what we call integration. You know, uh, and I and I know it's sensitive to a lot of people, and it may hurt some folks' feelings. But we have to tell the truth, and sometimes I rather be hurt by the uh, truth than hurt by a lie. When you're looking at these numbers, as far as uh, African Americans and homicides, you know, of course we can't blame it on poverty. We lived in, in poverty in the 1930s and 40s more so than we lived in now. But of course, we didn't kill each other 85, 75 years ago at the horrendous rate that we're doing it now. So we can't blame it on homicides and saying, well, we lived and we didn't have this and we didn't have that or the other. When you look at what happened 100 years ago, what we call Black Wall Street, many many don't realize that there was dozens of Black Wall Streets in this country. And, of course, yes, they were burnt down. We understand that, don't agree with it, but, of course, you know, looking at the crime and the criminal rate, and, of course, how African-Americans did not, I repeat, they did not take each other's lives the way they were taking them now. And, of course, we lived in poverty. We lived in uh, in areas where we were economically suppressed, depressed, stressed. And so, of course, uh, you didn't always have opportunities outside of your own neighborhoods when it comes to that. But, of course, looking on the inside, from the inside standpoint, we did keep ourselves employed. And so, of course, now we all know that Little Rock didn't necessarily have, for the most part, town wasn't bombed or burned out for the most part like they did in, in Tulsa and Greenwood section back in 1921. But our, when I mean our, Little Rock's, um, Little Rock's pretty much on Black Wall Street was the nice street. And what destroyed mm-hmm. these people was the interstate was 630. And so that was yeah. just another way of, uh, you know, destroying 
the uh, economic and uh, the um, the monopoly that some of these African American businesses had. And so, of course, yeah. as a result, you know, uh, and again, we didn't kill each other the way that we're doing now, just taking life senselessly. Because again, once yeah. you identify with who you are from a historical standpoint, whether it's in the 1970s, in the 1980s, in the 1990s, you know, you value life a little bit more. And so those young folks back then, my dad was born in 40, 41. And so, of course, he talked about picking cotton and living in a segregated neighborhood in North Carolina before moving to Philly, before he met my mom and a talk out of here. But um, uh-huh. they didn't experience, uh, the, again, the, the horrendous crimes of uh, homicides. They didn't have it at that rate. Yes, they were killing each other for the most part. But um, when you look at between 
Okay. Well, hey, Professor, I know uh, we got to take this break, but, sir, we definitely appreciate you coming on the show, but we're going to have to get you back on the show when you got a little bit more time to definitely talk about the uh, the rise in, in violent crimes, uh, not just in central Arkansas, but, uh, but across the country. But so we definitely thank you for coming on. And, uh, Keith, we're going to take this break, and we'll come back. We're going to get back into this topic, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you're an African-American man, you need to know about oral cancer. Oral cancer is more common in African-American men than in any other group in the U.S. If you have a sore or lump in your mouth that doesn't go away after two weeks, see a doctor or a dentist. Most often, these symptoms don't mean cancer, but it's important to get them checked. If you do have oral cancer, it can be treated more successfully if it's caught early. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. Hi, I'm Amanda Pete. Like all new parents, my husband and I want what's best for our baby. When it was time for our daughter's immunizations, we wanted the facts. So we carefully researched vaccines. We spoke with doctors and other experts and asked them tough questions. We decided that vaccines were the best thing for our child. I urge you to get the facts. Learn the facts about vaccines so you can make the best health care decisions for your family. Thank you. A message from the American Academy of Pediatrics at vaccinateyourbaby.org. Keith, you know, the, 
to see 150, to see the number of 150 people killed in 400 shootings just over uh, the July 4th weekend, those are some alarming numbers. They're alarming, uh, but you know, at the, at the at the end of the day, man, you know, it's it's unacceptable. But it's it's what we're facing right now in the nation, uh, and it's 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 very disheartening uh, that for people to even think. And there are people out here that actually think, uh, Virgil, that this is just a way of living. Uh, this is a standard of living. That this is what you should expect if you live in certain areas. And I've said this for a long time. That's totally unacceptable. But if if that's a person's norm, you know, how do we change that? And well, we change it by getting involved. We change it by uh, holding our legislators accountable for creating, providing funding to create more jobs and more programs and things like that. Because you know, just face it, like the gentleman said earlier, uh, a lack of programs, uh, a lack of um, uh, emotional intelligence, and I didn't say intelligence, I said emotional intelligence, uh, a lack of conflict resolution, uh, and also with a lack of who no one cares about me, uh, that, that is a, that is a recipe for violence. And, uh, I talked to a young man uh, not too long ago, and he basically said that. He said, you know, kids are bored. Uh, they don't think people care about him. You know, and if you live in an area which you don't have the, updated um, playground equipment. You know, they don't have access to Internet. Uh, a neighborhood or a community that doesn't have access to social services, uh, access to banks or grocery stores and things like that, uh, that, that is a potential uh, that those, those areas have potential to see increases in crime. And, and uh, no matter how many police officers you have, uh, no matter how many... Um, people that you have will stand up. At the end of the day, policing and and gatekeepers are a temporary solution. Long-term solution is improving quality of life. And, and those are things we, we've got to get, we've got to do a better job of doing in this nation. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Keith, we, you know, want to get back to uh, a, a comment that was left in the chat room by uh, Michelle in she said that uh, integration led to inflation, which is why our violence exists. And kind of something that uh, Professor Davis uh, uh, addressed in his comments about uh, integration. And, you know, I don't think this is something that is often that is not talked about um, uh, and how integration led to inflation and how that uh, – it's still impacting uh, our minority communities, especially in major cities and in some, um, you know, uh, cities that are not major cities, how that is still impacting the black community some decades after and decades after, um, you know, integration. Yeah, um, I will tell you, man, she's, she's you know, it, it's, it is a domino effect. Uh, Virgil, and, and she's absolutely right. There have been communities that have never been able to overcome, uh, uh, you know, things like um, integration. Uh, they haven't been able to overcome that. Uh, but, you know, um, and, 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 and it may be some point where there's some improvement, but at the end of the day, what we're looking for is long-term. 
um, you, you kind of get tired of people saying things, well, that's a person's choice to live that night. Well, some people don't have that choice. Keep in mind, there are not everybody who lives in an area that may be considered high crime is a person, is a criminal. Uh, the majority of the, of the neighborhoods out here in the communities, there are people that work hard, people that, that are doing the best that they can. They're not criminals. But it's that old broken window theory, and I hate to use that because that's so old, but if, if, if your area doesn't look as though you care about it, why should anyone else care about it? If, 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 if you, you don't have the resources that other neighborhoods where there is a perception of lower crime and you don't have in your neighborhood uh, the, the resources you need, why should I care about that? And so we do have to do a better job and we have to stop pointing fingers at people all the time and realize sometimes the system is broken for some. Um, people do the best that they can. And that doesn't make excuses for individuals who are just out here committing crime. Because keep in mind, you have individuals that have all of the resources, all of the everything that they could have possible, money, homes, clothes, food, education, and they're still committing crime. So um, socioeconomic uh, status does not automatically make you a crime, just like being in a higher, a criminal, just like being in a higher socioeconomic level doesn't make you not a criminal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, Keith, I, I need to correct myself on, on the uh, last message. Uh, uh, she stated that the uh, uh, integration led to infiltration, which is why our violence exists and not uh, where it was inflation led uh, led to that. So I want to correct uh, correct myself on that uh, from from my listener in the chat room. Um, but, it, you know, Keith, it's, you, you know, so many headlines you hear uh, about the American, the crime surge. Uh, why is there a rise in, in violence? Um, you know, headlines like police chief confront a surge in, in gun violence. Um, you know, you, you got cities that are bracing for, you know, the, the violence in the summer. And, you, you know, just this past weekend, you know, you had the, the shooting in Atlanta at a golf course where they're trying to determine how did, you know, uh, several people on a golf course, you know, lose their lives uh, at the act of, 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 of gun violence. So, you know, prior to the pandemic, there wasn't really any, uh, I mean, there was violence, but not at the level that it is right now coming out of out of the pandemic so you know i think a lot of people is trying to find the solutions as to why there is such a rise in 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 gun violence and it just can't be that people were just locked up and now people are coming out it, it there has to be some other uh factors with that uh, you have you're absolutely right virgil I, I will tell you that um i i, I truly believe there's a lot of work going on to to find out what the cause of this public health pandemic it's it's, it's a public health deal it's it's not just a crime issue it's public health the gentleman said it earlier about the programs and the funding and things that's a that's a that's a health issue of public health 
concerned that we've got to that we've got to figure out what we can do to to eliminate that. Uh, you don't when you go to a doctor, you don't go to a specialist um, just because you go to a specialist because your your primary doctor has found something that he believes that he's not. Uh, that he he may not be able to find the cause of it, so you send it to a specialist to find the root cause, and that's what we've got to be trying to. What we have to try to determine what is the root cause of this increase in violence, or is it an increase in violence, or has this violence always been here? And just the fact that now it's everybody's attention because of the pandemic, and everybody had a lot of time to has had a lot of time to focus on certain things, but violent crime has always existed. This is nothing new. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. We've got to address it. We've got to address it as a public health issue, though. Yeah, and and I don't know if if uh, so. Keith, uh, LA has a question. Uh, LA, uh, good to hear from you, sir. Yeah, good to hear from you guys. I appreciate you um, giving me the opportunity. I apologize for um, being a little under the weather. Um, it, one of the things in the big cities, as you know, um, with you look, look at Chicago, I think there's a lot of black on black crime, and I think you guys will um, agree if you if you're in a predominantly black area, then who's going to commit the crimes on? Who's going to rob the banks and do the, all the all the stuff? It's going to be predominantly the people in that neighborhood, whether you be black, Chinese, white, whatever the case may be, but. Chicago's got 80% in terms of um, a high uh, crime rate on, on black on black and homicides. You look at places like L.A. and B. Moore and Dallas, St. Louis, Detroit, places like that, Memphis. Uh, it's an, an, an epidemic in, in a lot of ways. And part of it is, uh, some of it is that's not been mentioned, guys, and I'm sure you have to deal with it as police chiefs, is gang violence. So how much of the gang violence... Uh, plays into the violence, not just the guns, but just the violence in itself. And how much should former gangbangers, and I'm sure you know them all in terms of working with them in programs, uh, uh, Chief Humphrey and and Green, that they would set up peace treaties or violence-free zones or anything like that that's going to help stem some of the violence in our community. L.A., I want to I want to chime in there. You know what? I think you brought up a good point. Uh, gangs aren't what they used to be. Uh, no, it used they're to be not. About yeah. red, it used to be about red and blue, and now it's yeah. about green. And and some of the members of those gangs that work that were in unison with each other have crossed over to the other side, so they can make more money, and they turn on each other. So now there's really no such thing as gangs. They're cliques and associations. So it's all about mm-hmm. money. So even the even these these guys, um, these former members, LA, and to the listeners that have, that have been known as OGs, original gangsters, the ones that have served their time and they're coming back, they can't even talk to these kids. These this this group of kids that we're talking about now won't even listen to the OGs. And so we, as law enforcement and other community to those individuals to get some ideas on how to come up with new ideas to talk to this younger generation. But they are really good at uh, the, the, the members that of the former gang members who are really becoming proactive and, and working in the community for 
to help um, reduce crime are really good sources of information because they know a lot of these kids are out here committing these crimes. They know a lot of their their fathers, their granddads, and things like that. And so there's still hope that some family component can cause some of these kids to think, have a second thought about some of the things they're doing and, and, and put down that, this, uh, these acts of violence and not do that. So they're, they're very, uh, they're invaluable um, to, to law enforcement if, if we utilize those individuals the way we should. Yeah, well, and I'll just add to that uh, before, you know, we're coming up on the last few minutes of the show, uh, is that L.A., you know, uh, just in Chicago, you know, there were uh, 100 people shot, 18 homicides. There were uh, two police officers that were shot. Uh, you don't uh, hear like we used to hear in the late 90s about the gang uh, the gang violence. You, you're just hearing uh, about the, the gun violence of individuals who probably are not even associated with a gang because this, this is not so much over territory or, hey, you're on my turf. This is just about individuals who some have a beef with somebody, and next thing you know, they're taken out on somebody. So it's not really associated with gangs, per se. It's just more uh, associated with a group of young people who just don't value their lives or the lives of anybody else. And uh, so, you know, when they shoot a weapon, you know, unfortunately, innocent or end up in, involved in this. And so, you know, Keith, we've talked about, you know, youth programs, some of, you know, things that that used to exist that don't exist now. And so I think that's uh, upon our cities, our churches, our organizations like YMCAs to really uh get back to some of the basic things that were that we were seeing in uh in so many communities in the 70s and 80s and, and 90s uh because this epidemic is is just really uh getting out of out of control so but Keith man you know it this has been another great show uh we have to kind of uh coming up on the end it but uh this is something we're going to definitely uh, uh talk about again uh between ourselves and our listeners but we definitely want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to you and the law on the bachelor news radio network and uh, if you miss any parts of this uh live broadcast definitely uh, uh go to the bachelor news radio network.com and uh and listen to the show or go to blog talk radio blog talk uh radio network.com and listen to the show uh, to our rebroadcast shows. Um, but Keith, it's been a pleasure again, sir. And, uh, I may have, let me put this out because I want to make sure I'm putting out the correct information to our listeners that blogtalkradio.com backslash LA Bachelor. Uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast shows and also on the bachelor news.airtime.pro. Uh, you can check out our rebroadcast shows at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. But, Keith, it's been been great, sir, but you, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. All right.